I'm Michael Foster, and you're listening to It's Good to Be a Man, the podcast where we are extending God's house in father rule by helping men to establish their own houses in strength, workmanship, and wisdom. Today, I am going to interview Marcus Pittman by myself because non and family are off camping in the wilderness of Middle Earth. So Marcus and I will talk about media and manhood. Marcus, thanks for being on the podcast. Kind of been in the same circles for a long time because I've been involved in abolitionism or, or trying to end abortion, mostly on the personhood movement side of things. And so I've known of your work for a long time. And obviously, just the, the media ministry of Apologia Church, it's been amazing. You've been part of that. So I'm really happy to have you on the show. So thanks for being with us. Thanks for having me. Why don't we just hop right into it? How'd you get involved in the creation of really higher level Christian media? That's not what Christians are known for. In the 90s, we would go to a Christian store. I became a Christian in 97 when I was 17. You go to a Christian uh, bookstore, and they would have this little chart that would tell you, if you like Metallica, you should listen to this band. And you would listen to the band, and you're like, "Eh, it's kind of like Metallica, but it was always not quite as good. And I always thought that Christian media movies, music were just a bad Xerox copy of the real stuff. So seeing people create quality stuff is not very common. So how'd you get involved in that? Yeah, I think it's interesting you called it higher level Christian media because it's mainly only YouTube videos. And so most of the world would not see YouTube media as higher level media. (laughs) But uh (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> it's but, a channel, uh, right? YouTube's just a yeah, channel. Yeah, yeah, no, it, it no, it's true. I think uh I mean the fact that you see that's pretty pretty important and and we'll get into that later, but I think uh how for me um I we were I was just I actually got fired. I was I was at Wretched. Uh I I moved all the way down to work for Wretched and I got fired after 3 weeks. And, uh, Did myself- you get fired because you're like, no, I never stole a toothpick. <laughs> no, it was just because I wasn't it. good. It was because yeah, okay. I wasn't good. Um, All right. And 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 so the, I had a lot to learn. I thought, I mean, I I I got the job really miraculously. I, I don't, I still don't know how I got it. I really didn't know what I was doing, and then I went down there. I w- really wasn't that good, and I was able to. I was like, well, I have a lease on a apartment now, so I have to get a job and. So I had the cell phone company I worked for just transfer me instead of quitting. <laughs> wait, so wait, you're, you were a Seasaki employee, weren't you? A Seasaki? Did you work for Cellular Sales? I uh, did work Verizon. for Cellular Sales, yes. So I did. did. I. So in did Georgia. I. Yeah, so I was in Virginia oh, Beach and then they nice. transferred me to Georgia. Right. Uh, and, then, and then I just hated it. And I was like, well, I, I got to figure out if I'm going to be selling cell phones all my life or I'm going to be... Uh, doing video production. And so I bought a camera and I just started making my own stuff and, uh, moved in with the chocolate knocks. And that's how, that's sort of how I really got into it. We were just making stuff outside, uh, on the deck, uh, making videos and just playing around and having fun. Like it, like it didn't, nothing mattered. So we were just making stuff like nothing mattered because it didn't. And, uh, that's how we got connected with Darren Doan. We sent him our stuff and he's like, uh, he was like, yeah, man, uh, I'll hire you. Do you guys want to do a music video for Kirk Cameron's movie? And we're like, yeah. 
okay. And so we did. And then from there, we uh, both started doing video production pretty full scale at that point. I started working on uh, Babies Emerged here, and then we did uh, How to Answer the Fool and a, a few other documentaries for uh, American Vision and stuff like that. And then that's sort of how everything sort of got me to Apologia. And then during that time, I was working on Babies Emerged here. And uh, that movie got out, uh, Jeff saw it, and then got to speaking to Jeff and uh, moved out to Phoenix and we built Apologia Studios. And that's sort of how uh, Apologia Studios came to be. And and then now uh, we're, I'm working on lore. So, Wow, that's, that's crazy. So John Speed then was your connection to Jeff. Is that how we're just... Uh, they were just in the same world. I think American Vision was probably. I think Jeff was had his eyes on American Vision and was in connection with people from American Vision. And then through I, first time I met Jeff was at the 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 GCC conference that American Vision did in Phoenix. Uh-huh. And so that's when I met him. And then from and I spoke at that conference too. And so. Uh, yeah, so that's sort of where that that came. That's from. crazy. I didn't realize that those relationships were that new because I kind of watched all that stuff come. And, and even as we talk about these things, to think where where people, the directions, all that stuff has gone since then. Yeah, it's know. only been five years. Yeah, that's wild. It's 2015, so it hasn't been long at all. Yeah. Okay. Cool. What do Christians get wrong about media? Let's let's go there. We'll we'll, we'll circle back around to the the man. We go wherever you want, but that's a that's a question that comes to my mind. No, that's a good one. Uh, I think we we just filmed this today, and we're talking about the importance of storytelling. When when I imagine a storyteller, I imagine like a father sitting around a campfire telling his kids a story, or or telling them about the past, the generations they came from, that sort of thing. Like that's how I see storytelling. But, but it's become sort of an effeminate form of storytelling and Christians have kind of let that sort of weak man view that the sitcoms have taken sort of influence storytelling. I think the importance of it is from stories come law, right? And so conservatives, we like to argue about statistics, right? We'll say, oh, well, rape only happens in like 1% of all abortions. And then the liberals go, yeah, but in those 1% of abortions, that woman has to see the face of her rapist and they tell a story, right? Uh, homosexuals in media, that's all throughout media. And then next thing you know, suddenly it's illegal to, you know, it's illegal to not perform a homosexual marriage. And meanwhile, the conservatives are like, yeah, but it's only like less than 10% of people that are actually homosexuals. You know, and so, so like conservatives are statistic based, but liberals understand from story comes law. And so when men abandon or when Christian men abandon storytelling, we abandon a form of, of creating law and, and we, we let the liberals win. And, and that's, that is why we have to sort of take over storytelling again. We have to be the ones that are controlling stories. Of our, that makes of, sense of our culture. to me. Yeah, that totally makes sense to me because I did a podcast on this that 
is rebranded and we'll roll out in a couple of weeks on our, our main podcast talking about why people are into LARPing, why people are into live action role playing. And my argument was the reason we're into live action role playing is because no one knows their place in society anymore mm-hmm. because society's uh, has the main story is a bad story. Right. And uh, so, yeah, and, and so this is why people benefit so much from guys like C.S. Lewis or Tolkien. When they're talking about myths, this is what they're talking about. They're talking about these grand narratives, these great, great ideas that uh, really all um, are derivatives or or echoing a story of scripture, gospel, yeah. right? And so it makes sense to me, yeah, because right now we're writing our book. We turned in some of our chapters to canon this morning, and part of what we've been doing in our book on masculinity, I think is a little different when I look at other people's books is that ours is very narratively driven and not like through stories. Like, let me tell you about John and how he learned to be a man. It's the, it's really <laughs> the big ideas, the big threads of scripture that we want people to get in their head. Cause once they start to think that way, that it becomes a frame of reference, a mindset. A lot of other things start to fall in place. Like if that's yeah. true, if God made man to be a conqueror, if God made man to have a woman to help him, therefore this is how you should live, which is like the law you're talking about. So yeah. that, that makes a lot of sense to me. Well, well, God gave us the law through story. It's not just God gave us laws. He said, here's the laws, but the laws were given in the context of a narrative that was happening during that time. So even, even the laws that God gives is through story, right? So we see, you know, Moses was up on the hill and then he comes down and they're burning a calf and he throws the tablets down and then he gets an, another tablet, and he, right? So the law that we receive is through this, the, the story and the narrative, um, that that we have. And so when we say, well, we're not going to pay much mind to stories, well, we've given up the ability to have any influence over the law. I mean, you can see this through like uh, universal healthcare, right? Liberals come in and they say, well, here's, here's so-and-so Smith. And he had cancer after he lost his job and it bankrupted him. And now he's living out on the street, you know, or all the, all this, right. And then conservatives come in and they go, well, yeah, but let's look at how much this is going to cost. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. So it's always facts and stories. Even if the stories are wrong, their stories are wrong. Some of them are lies. The stories are lies. It, it doesn't even matter. What matters essentially is who can control the narrative. And, and so Christians are not controlling the narrative. We were talking about this today, like the movie God's Not Dead is a story but it still tries to prove the existence of God with like evidence and facts and statistics <laughs> in the movie. So even they're not even able to get out of the, just, just tell a good story phase. They're not even able to get out of the, the facts and statistics part when they're telling stories. So what we need to figure out how to do is we need to, how to become the, the lead, not just any storytellers. We need to be the lead storytellers, the dominant ones, that we need Christians need to be the ones that control all the storytelling narratives in our culture, because we're not going to win any sort of political war. We're not going to end abortion on stats. That's just not going to happen. It doesn't matter the stats. They don't care. They don't care that they people. Women do not care that they are actually murdering a child or or that that child has all the DNA at a certain time of conception. Women don't care about that. Uh, they want 
the freedom. They want the story. They want that sort of view of uh, this idealized what happens if I have an abortion and go on with my life. Like they, they're on the story, not the, not the facts and the logic. And so. And good to great. I don't know if you ever had to read that business book, but I did. And I just remember, I think it's Philip Morris, the, the, the tobacco company when they were being limited and how they could sell and they were trying to fight back against those limitations. You know, they had people are like, you got to tell them about, you know, how safe it is, right? How safe it is to smoke or how not dangerous it is. Instead, what they realized that they needed to make it about being a real man or being free or having choice or whatever, right? Yeah. And, and, and they did really well for a long, long time for that reason. And so that, that definitely resonates with me. I guess I have two questions. Why is it that Christians gave up story? Why, why have they put that aside? It seems like they're just adopting the mindset of naturalists, right? The sort of they're reacting to the raw side of of that sort of sort of philosophical naturalism, or what? Yeah, I think it's Pietism. I think oh, we don't have time. Like we don't have time for wasting our lives sitting in front of a television, right? Like yeah, sort of, yeah, yeah. Like this sort of Pietism, like oh, we, you know, we're we're going to talk about spiritual things. We're going to talk about these sort of things. Uh, but they've missed the fact that, you know, the gospel and story and, and, and those things are all important. Like it's valuable to sit around the campfire and tell a story to your children, like whether a ghost story or whatever, like those are valuable things. And people entertaining themselves is is a valuable thing. That's important for a family. Like some of my memories growing up, my family sitting around the couch watching our TV shows, whether they're old, so we, me and my family would watch a lot of like black and white, like I love Lucy and like those sort of things. So some of the memories we had and, and you know, back, it used to be around the campfire and now it's around a TV. Uh, I, I don't think that matters so much. Uh, I, but what matters is who are you letting tell the story, right? Like if you're sitting around a campfire, you're not going to let deranged uncle Jimmy come drunk and t- <laughs> tell a story around the campfire in front of your kids. Uh, but with the television, we let that happen all the time. So that's sort of like the thing is, I think our, our pietism of, of, of uh, us just saying, well, we don't have time for that. And, and we saw this happen. We sort of compart- compartmentalized uh, Christianity into its own genre, as opposed to all genres being Christian. So like, that's really key. I think you see this too. I've said this a lot uh, with country music, like country music and Christian music were pretty much one and the same. And then they, they started to go, Hey, you know, we want to, we want to do songs about uh, being at the bar and, and, and adultery. And we want to, we want to sing country songs to incorporate all these sort of ideas. And they're like, well, that's going to interfere with the Christian audience. So what they did was they moved Christian music 30 miles south of Nashville in a town called Franklin, Tennessee. And if you go to Franklin, Tennessee today, you'll see that there's all every sort of major Christian media company has a base in in Franklin uh, around that area. And, And the reason is because so the secular country music industry took Christianity, Christian music, and they said this is what Christian music sounds like. This is what Christian music feels like. This is like how many beats per minute it can be. This is how much it can talk about Jesus and not be too much or too crazy. And so they put it all in this little, this category 
moved it to Franklin, Tennessee and created the Christian music industry right there. That way country music and Christian music wouldn't ever interfere with each other's sales. Right. And so the same thing has happened in Hollywood. We see the, the pure flixes. We see the, uh, vid the, angel the vid angels, yeah. like those sort of things. Uh, and they're, they each have defined what, uh, Christian m- movies are as a genre itself. So it doesn't matter if it's a horror movie. It doesn't matter if it's a a, a love story. They all feel like a Christian movie. Mm. Um, And that's because there are rules that are are set and established that make it that way on purpose. This this is why we're we're doing lore is because we're trying to say, we're trying to get out of these compartments and say Christians own all stories everywhere and the liberals have they have no basis to determine what it what it is that we're supposed to watch and you know with sony's acquisition of pureflix uh, uh the website sony just bought pureflix.com well i don't know of any time in history that a secular company that has a video game like last of us two, the last of us 2 that's sure. pushing gay and trans uh positions isn't somehow going to bleed into their christian industry. They're not going to do it all at once. Uh, but eventually over time, you're going to see movies about Christians accepting those who become homosexuals and stuff. It's going to come. Uh, It's just going to come. And so what we need to do is we need to figure out, okay, how can we scramble the gatekeepers, right? So all of Hollywood is all the stories only come from about eight people. You have Ted Sarandos, who's the CEO of Netflix now, uh, but he was the big guy who wrote the checks and greenlit every Netflix show you've ever seen. And then there's, you know, the CEO of ABC, the CEO of, you know, and it's all these one office and all these networks that pretty much decide everything that people watch. And so we have, so what we're trying to figure out is, well, what's the way to break that up so that they have no power, no control whatsoever in determining what people watch anymore? And that's how we, we came up with lore. I like it, man. I like it. It's bold. Let me uh, take a, a sort of side, uh, a little side journey here. Um, you worked with Durbin on that, that talk show. And right? Okay. Yeah, so, next week. Yeah, next week. So I remember that. And I remember all the flack he got for it. And I didn't, I wasn't like really sure how I felt about it. Um, Because I was like, is it dignified for a pastor to do this? It was like, it was a question I was asking. But what I, what I would tell everybody, what I, here's exactly what I did like about it. I liked the fact that you guys are doing something no one else was doing. That you're trying something new and trying, um, uh, to break ground and take risk. And a lot of Christians, they just didn't appreciate that. And I was like, this is, this is great. This is like what they're doing here is not easy. It's really hard. And uh, if you, if you want to know how hard it is to do a show like that, all you got to do is go find the episodes of when David Letterman had shingles and he couldn't be the host in the Letterman show. And so for about a week or two, I think it was two weeks, they had a guest host every night. So they had Bruce Willis once. That was a fascinating episode because uh, he's real pro, uh, pro gun, and he like got in an argument with the guests over it. But uh, <laughs> and that's actually where Jimmy Fallon had his first opportunity 
to uh, host a late night show. And, but you watched it. These were really talented people, and they all struggled. It was very difficult, yeah. right? It was very yeah. difficult to hit their marks and to get into their rhythm and, and all that sort of stuff. And so what I, what I respected about it was that there was a level of risk. Even what we've tried to do with It's Good to Be a Man is we, um, we don't – we do our own thing. Right. Like we, uh, we read a bunch of authors that a lot of people weren't reading. That's for certain. Um, a very few Christians I know read bronze age pervert. Uh, very few people are as deep down. And then we kind of found our own voice over time. And, and it seems like it's resonating with people and taking off. Tell me just a little bit about like, what did you learn from stepping out and taking a risk like that? And uh, what would you tell guys as they think about doing the same thing? Because yeah, Laura's I, there, but I, I thought that was great. I thought it was a great experiment. Yeah. Next week was one of the best things I ever did. I, I absolutely loved every moment of making that show. Um, we, would, we would stay up till maybe 3 a.m. the day before writing it and then making all the graphics and stuff that had to be done. And we'd try to you know, bring in people from our church during the middle of the day, the next day to get in the live audience and weren't ever able to really fill it out. Like the whole idea was, was crazy that, (laughs) but that's what made it so great, I think. And like, that's the sort of thing, like it, like it didn't matter for me. It didn't matter. It was good or not. It was that whether it was, we were doing it no one else was. (laughs) Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. And I, so I was like, it's like, you know, if the haters hate it, then, uh, then at least they're commenting and upping our engagement. That was kind of how it was. And, uh, I think, uh, I learned so much doing that show. It was so great. And um, uh, I, I think that's just where we like uh, for, for us, it was like, look, comedy at the time. Anyway, this was before COVID. So now it's kind of weird to think about that. But during that time, the late night shows were really the main influencers of the society. Right. Yeah. So you had you just had sort of like the loss of like John Stewart and then was replaced by Trevor Noah. And then you had. Um, Colbert was coming into his Colbert own. was coming yeah. into his own and it all became all the late night shows became this super anti-Trump sort of not it wasn't even funny like like John Stewart is one of the greatest comedians of all time because he was he would trash conservatives all the time and it was funny right and so so there is this this sort of view of comedy where where comedy only works uh if there is something immoral uh, to make fun of, right? Like, like comedy works best when you're making fun of immorality. Uh, but when, when your worldview, uh, when your worldview is immoral, uh, suddenly you can't have that sort of comedy anymore, right? So any joke about trans people, you can't do. Um, any any sort of uh, any sort of joke about homosexuality you can't do, um, even even like uh, racist stereotypes like Chappelle sort of you can't do that anymore. Um, all those sort of things uh, poke fun at immorality. But when your worldview and your source of power comes from these immoral positions, suddenly you have to stop that, right? There has to, you can't you cannot have comedy in a Marxist world because it, it po- comedy pokes fun of those in power. Um, right. And if those in power are immoral, comedy is going to point that out. And so we have to shut out uh, that sort of comedy. And there's comedians that see that Dave Chappelle sees that probably more clearly than anybody 
right now, right? He just doesn't have the worldview to ground what he's seeing. So he sort of goes the other way into the, like the, he's sort of SJW, but he's really not. And he doesn't want to embrace it completely, but he does tend to go there. But the, the way in which he goes there is only based on stuff he's actually seen and experienced. That's real. <laughs> mm-hmm. So, but he doesn't go all the way and he makes fun. So, so you see this sort of thing, but, um, but that, that was sort of our thing is like our comedy is important. So how can we do that? And, uh, yeah, that's what we did, man. We, we, we just, just, let's just do something crazy. And, and if it fails, hopefully it'll inspire other people to do something at least while well, at least push Christian media, at least like we'll inch it forward a little bit. That was the hope and the goal. And then, uh, yeah, I think that, I think honestly, even, even today, I think like, uh, next week was probably one of like the most viewed shows that apology ever did. We had like Ben Shapiro on there. We had all sorts of guests. That was, it was, it was really a great platform. That's crazy. Yeah, that's great. Do you know how many um how many feminists it takes to change a light bulb? How many? It's not funny. <laughs> that's a great joke. That's that's a great joke. That's the, that's real. the best. <laughs> anyway, to your point earlier. Yeah, I liked it. I like risk takers. Taking risk is manly. And I think men that have grown up coddled, um, don't take risk, but in particular, in this Christian culture where all purity is very external, it's, it's just the outside of the cup, right? And it, that if you if you mess up, if you say a cuss word or, or stumble some way, these people, you want to talk about cancel culture? Ev- evangelicals mm-hmm. will mm-hmm. rip you and shred you and 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 say you're the worst person ever. So I think a lot of guys aren't. I mean, that's why we have to not only build, take ground when it comes to the, the pagan culture, but we have to realize that the evangelical culture right now is is a um, is, is part of that pagan culture, more or less. It's of the same no, of the same ilk, and so like you have to like come to the point like where I'm at. Like, I don't want a seat at your table. I will right. build the table or take your table. Like I'm not, I'm not here to like get your, not that I don't like, it's not that I'm defined by, by them. I'm just, I don't care. I know that they're, they're corrupt and I don't really want the approval of corrupt people. I think that's (laughs) like the, these guys won't take risks right now because, because evangelical culture, you know, Paul Maxwell said it was beta culture. It's not, it's Karen culture. Like evangelical, that's what it is so much. And so you guys doing that is the sort of stuff I'd like to see more. Let's talk about lore. This is a bigger risk. Um, It's a, it's a, you want to talk about, I saw when you put it out there, I was like, what, what is this? Like you had the mystery going on. What is lore? Um, That's not how you spell that word. But um, (laughs) then, uh, then I saw that it was a streaming thing and I was like, well, this is very interesting. Like it's one thing to start up like a sort of podcast app or whatever, but video streaming. So what do you, what do you hope to do with this? And then why, why video? Why video as a medium? Yeah. Well, well, video is the medium in which our society communicates. Right. So uh, just like, you know, why books, why books as a medium? Well, that, that, you know, that's, that's the way in which people communicate. Uh, uh, Video is, is, is probably more so nowadays because of how easily accessible it's become to 
produce in a time where it wasn't. I mean, when you had to, you know, have cameras and you had to buy film and then you had to cut the film with scissors in order to edit and stuff like that. It wasn't a very easily accessible medium, but now, I mean, I mean, there's movies on Netflix that have been made with iPhones, right? So everybody has access. Yeah. Everybody has access to something in which they can make a high end movie. If they just have really the creativity, the problem is uh, when it comes to the Christian film industries and the secular film industries, they're not going to want you to really tell stories uh, in the way a Christian should tell stories. Uh, the Christian filmmakers are going to try to uh, make uh, sin out to be weak. Uh, and then, and then uh, the secular film industries are either going to ma- present sin in an immoral way, right? Like nudity and stuff like that. So there's this sort of like balance of like, well, we can't uh, uh, speak of sin truthfully anywhere. Um, and then not only that, Hollywood is, is going to cancel you. You have no chance of getting a really solid Christian film in, in through Hollywood. Um, and then, and then, and then, and then with the other, with the Christian film industries, you're sort of like, you don't really want their, uh, their meal. I guess you could say, you don't really like, want to um, be at, you don't really want to be at their table because there's too many compromises that come with it as an artist, uh, that, that just would just make it awful. I, I, I could, I could tell some stories about that, but, 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 but so what we're trying to do with lore, here's, here's what we're trying to do. We're trying to say, uh, the person who should decide what they want to watch is not Ted Sarandos and it's not David Ayer White, right? The person that should decide what you want to watch is the consumer. The consumer is the, the purchaser of films and media. They are the consumer for a reason because they're the ones consuming. And any basic law of economics says that it's not Ted Sarandos who decides what people want to watch. It's the viewers. Uh, the problem is in a day and age of algorithms, uh, algorithms confuse people into thinking that this is what people want to watch when the top 10 on Netflix is not really the top 10, but it's just the top 10 they want to push to you. <laughs> Absolutely. Like that, like that's, that's something we, we start to think, well, this is what people want to see. And then it makes us think, well, Hey, uh, maybe, Christianity is smaller than it really is, uh, which is not the case. And so what we're trying to do is we're trying to say, well, what if consumers could fund the movies that they want to watch? Just right off the bat, we're going to fund the movies that we want to watch. And then creators uh, can make the movies that consumers fund. And so it's pretty simple. It's a pretty basic concept. You get the Hollywood gatekeepers, script readers, and supervisors out of the way. And you say, here's a consumer, here's a viewer, fight. And then may the best story win. And that's what lore is. It's made the best story win. And so we're trying to essentially create a fundraising platform in which Christians can uh, raise money uh, to make the movies that they've always wanted to see and no one would ever make. So then this is not a competitor to Netflix per se. It's not another Netflix. It's, it's, uh, it's a different... It's a completely different animal that I yeah. believe will completely uh, up up upend upend the entire Hollywood industry if done right. It, it has the ability to decentralize filmmaking. 
so lore is allows basically the audience to fund it, fund the creators, and it also is the plat is the platform of delivery of the content. Yes, so it's Kickstarter plus Netflix combined essentially. I, I see. That's interesting. Where are you guys at in the process? Uh, so uh, pretty far. Uh, we 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 just hired our first. Uh, our, our well, not our first. We hired our CTO. His name is Nathaniel Talbot. He's a uh, Really solid dude. Is twelve and a half years working for one company as their CTO. He's our he's our CTO COO. We have a uh, uh, Maceo who's our COO. So essentially, we're doing the conference calls every day, organizing company structure and stuff like that. Right now, we're we're early on, uh, but uh, things are going to hit really quickly. We have really qualified people running the company, which is crazy to me because I, I was saying I was I was saying this to you know John Speed, who's who's part of this. Uh, I was like, I, when I'm on our conference calls, I just feel small and like I have no idea what's going on. And it's so great to know that I, that God has allowed me to, to build that team, right? Mm-hmm. So that this is the team we're building. They're geniuses in their own field. And uh, you don't need anybody to, um, you don't need anybody to uh, uh, be an expert of all things. That's right. right. Like with with today's technology, we're not even the same. Our team isn't even in the same states, and we're mm-hmm. we're building this thing, and it's it's going to be it's it's incredible, and it's such a blessing, and 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 that's the other thing too. Like I know Toby Sumter posted a tweet that uh, that I, I I keep saying to myself every day. It's essentially like a god sized vision is a barrier to pride, whereas a small vision. Uh, is is a risk to pride, right? So if if yeah. your vision, if your vision as a man, this is I think this is important for all of us. Is like, uh, it it's impossible for me to do this thing. <laughs> so if it happens, it has to be God. Like that's sort of uh, wh- where we are. However, the steps we're taking are, are are very practical. So I'm not asking investors to just throw money away. Like there's actual legitimate practical steps i'm just saying like looking at myself yeah it's not something i can do by myself and that's that if right. it happens it's only because god brought the right people at the right time and at the right place and stuff like that that there's just it's just no way yeah so. no that's great i mean that's our i'm in the middle of a church plant right now we have our first preview service on sunday and i think one reason it's going really well our first offering was way more than i ever expected and and we've had more people show up and i think a big part of it was uh, we cast a vision that was relevant and that was bigger than way bigger than me. Like there's yeah. just no way, like I need the body to come together to do this. Like the Holy spirit yeah. distributes the gifts in the body and, uh, and that a good team always has a level of, of like, for example, the guy texts me like, Hey, I need this sound equipment. I don't know crap about sound equipment. I don't care. I actually never want to learn about sound equipment. If someone would teach me, I would say that's okay. Even if I had the time to learn, I still That's exactly right, man. I just wouldn't. It's not where I'm at. It's not my lane. I've not been interested in it. I'm 40 years old. There's a, I, I rather go like write a tweet. I'd rather go read a book. It's not, it's not me and that's all right. But that I am thankful for that guy. And there's a guy that's doing our design to turn the space into a, a kind of a sanctuary. And he told me what he wanted to do. And I said, okay, well, here's the money. Go do it. You know, like yeah. you learn to get out of the way. Yeah. That that's real leadership is being able to be humble enough to go. I can't do that. <laughs> well, it's like when I sit down yeah. to get a haircut, yeah. I always tell the lady, she says, what do you want? And I said, make me prettier. 
right? Yeah, right. Do your thing. That, right. That's your job. Yeah, you, you should know what that is, right? So sometimes yeah, I sign. Exactly the same way. I'm joking. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> let me I mean, let me come at this from a different direction because I want to okay. get your for our men out here. Masculinity is at the the core of it is shaping, creating things. So Adam looks at a mountain. And he thinks I can turn this mountain into something else, right? He can shape it into something else. That's yeah. mental transformation. Men have the ability to look at objects and actually like guys like Tesla would put together their entire plans in their head, right? The blueprints were there. It was like amazing, right? And that's something that's, uh, that's more distributed in the male sex, but guys like look and they think of the things they can shape and build. And a lot of us do that with our hands, but some of us do it with our tongues and with our fingertips. And so I do think just creating culture, taking risk, leadership, seeing vision, all that stuff doesn't just have to be being a, a blacksmith or being an electrician, all those things that are good that you see in some of these men's ministries, them calling guys back to that. That's awesome. I want to encourage that everyone should learn that. But telling stories, right? Um, telling stories and leading that way uh, is masculine too. So a guy that says, whoa, Lord, I can get someone to actually pay for the story I want to tell. What does he need to think about being a creator? Like what, what's the creative process? What steps should he take? How does he start getting ready? Like how do we raise up? We, if you have all the money, but we don't have the stories, what does it matter? Right. So how do we get the stories out there? Well, I think on, on that, on those grounds, in order to get the stories out there, that's going to require bravery. So over the course of the past month or two, I've had conversations with every level of Hollywood and they're all Christians, every, every level Emmy award winners, just every level. And, and the issue there is, well, I have two options. Option one is I can stay here and be a slave in Egypt or, or I can be a slave in evangelicalism and it pays less. Uh, but each option is terrible. There's nowhere to go. So what it's going to require really is men uh, who are brave enough to buck the system and say, I'm going to take the risk. I'm going to be a part of this new platform. I'm never going to be able to work in this town again, but I'm going to build a new city. Here's the thing. If we can get the content, and I think we can, I know we are, we are going to get the content creators. I've already talked to them. But once we get the content creators on board and lore becomes sustainable as a company, uh, and it's competitive and it's not, you know, it, there, there shouldn't be a difference between secular pay and Christian pay. <laughs> Christian pay should pay more, honestly, to be fair. But once that happens, cancel culture doesn't exist anymore. Cancel culture only works because there's nowhere else to go. Mm-hmm. Right. So, so the, 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 the people who, the creators who join lore first, the storytellers, the, 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 the ones in which the men who's God's gifted as artists, like those guys who jump in first and take the risk, that's going to be the thing that's going to propel them to a level that they didn't know they, they were even able to even, even achieve. And I think, I think we're going to, I think we're going to see that. Um, so there, there needs to be bravery. There needs to be a point where the option is not working in Hollywood or driving an Uber. The option is, you know, working in in Hollywood or working for lore, and lore is way better anyway, <laughs> right? But but the hard part is, I mean, the hard part is convincing people that they're a slave and letting them know that they can have freedom, right? We see that in this election, 
so many people voting for Biden, <laughs> even even without the fraudulent votes. Yeah, like you still have a way too many people that voted for slavery. Like that's just concerning <laughs> as it is. And so just convincing people, hey, look, you, you don't have to. You you can actually make whatever you want. Like there's a way to make whatever you want and tell whatever story you want. And, and, and in so doing, you're, you're blessing Christian families. Yeah. Uh, I mean, and, and you're blessing the world, right? Like it's yep. not just Christian families. Chick-fil-A busts. I, I, I saw a trans, transvestite in line at Chick-fil-A right? <laughs> because they make good food, you know? Mm-hmm. So you, you just tell the best stories. Everybody's going to watch them. It doesn't matter if they're Christian or not. That's just not how the world operates. Doug said, uh, Doug Wilson says in, um, rules for reformers, you can't have a culture war without a culture. And, yes. and part of what people don't realize is that you, you culture without story. That's right. And you hear folks right now talking about, um, well, I tell you what, I'm going to move to Texas if America keeps going this way. Cause te- Texas <laughs> is going to, we'll have, se- we'll have secession in Texas. Here's the thing though. They have never succeeded. If they haven't, <laughs> But let's let's just say for a second they do. Let's say for okay. they do. Okay, mm-hmm. they're they're still gonna get their kids are still gonna get their media from Netflix and, and Disney Plus, right? And so what do you, it's the 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 storytellers, right? So those that control the pulpits of the culture mm-hmm. that are shaping the minds. So you you're not gonna win. Texas, if let's say it becomes a Lone Star Republic again or whatever, Texas is gonna be just like America. Because America is the way it is because of our media as culture. And I always hear pastors that don't want to be on social media. And I get it. I get it. Social media feels narcissistic, egotistical at times. It seems like kind of trite, even reductive. I get all that. But, you know, you figure it out after a while. But the thing is, your people, this is what's shaping the way they think about it. And a lot of churches are full of a bunch of uh, liberals because their pastor – even though he was solid, their guys are out there listening to these gospel coalition sort of types uh, um, on Twitter and following them on Instagram and all that. And, and they're shaping their people's minds. And the pastor is oh. losing their hearts and minds because they are underneath the propaganda, uh, whatever you want to call it, uh, of this of this media. So if you don't participate, you're seeding ground. And the reality is this is where the war is being one culturally speaking yeah yeah i mean obviously there's government schools too so i don't take i don't take texas's threats of succession seriously unless they say that well everybody's going to be homeschooled in the new country of texas so i don't i don't think that's going to happen either um but again uh stories are education right so we can't say well we're against homeschooling but we're in favor of Netflix indoctrinating our kids, right? Like we yeah. have to be a hundred percent, you know, that's why it says, you know, to write the law on the hearts when you wake up and when you go to sleep, like it's all day. And so we can't do that without stories and, and, and it's not going to go anywhere. So the, 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 the pietistic, we're going to just, I'll tell a story. I was at a conference and I was speaking to like 500 kids on like Christian media. And I was telling them, this is like years before lore was even a thought, but I was telling them, same thing I've always said is like, you know, we need to take ownership of television. We need to take ownership of movies. Like we can't let this be a Christian thing. And uh, I was on stage with, uh, uh, well, I won't say his name, <laughs> but he was a popular uh, author uh, that really likes the Puritans. And um, 
you know, and, and so there's this discussion of, well, book books are better or TV's better. I mean, we should, probably shouldn't have TVs in our household. And it's like, well, every kid, so I said, I was like, hey, if you have a self-smartphone in your pocket, bring it out, raise it up right now. Every kid pulled out a smartphone. It's like, well, why are you worried about TV in their pocket? Like it's, I mean, a TV in their household. Are you serious? Like they have it in, they have it in church right now <laughs> at this conference we're at. Like they have it with them right now. Like, like, so you've already lost the battle to get the TV out of the home. Like that's just not going to happen. Uh, so the question is not how do we get the TV out of the home? The question is how do we become the thing that those kids want to watch on their TV that the parent can be like, yeah, I would dude, watch that all the time. <laughs> So I, uh, I got rid of a television. I'll tell you why I got rid of television once upon a time. And this is the, the difference between our family and the family in the churches. We, uh, my wife and I were just wasting so much time. We'd have kids or anything. We both were working in our careers and uh, we would watch a lot of dumb TV because there wasn't, you know, there wasn't streaming yet. And one night, instead of like talking and praying or doing anything other than like just bugging out, we watched Average Joe 2, Average Joe in Hawaii. That's where an average looking guy like dates beautiful women or whatever. And I was That's like, That's a real show? It was, dude. You go, you, <laughs> you, YouTube that bad boy, Average yeah. Joe 2. Yeah. So it's not even Average Joe 1. It's like the next so one. It's just like a parody of The Bachelor. No, no, they played it straight. They played it straight. It was like a, <laughs> they did. It's, it's so we. I'm like, you know, our marriage is kind of having problems at the time. So I get rid of the TV. We just buy a, uh, we buy a radio and all this stuff. And I tell my friend, he's like, "Oh, that's so good. You got rid of the TV." I said, "Brother, the fact that we got rid of the TV is a great failure. I had to remove the TV from my living room because we lacked self discipline, right? Mm-hmm. Like this was not a victory." Right, I, it's not the television, you know. It's not cinema. You exactly right. This That's is exactly a failure, right. and, and we had to correct it. Like so, yeah. sometimes you, you know, like I, I'm not anti-gaming, but gaming right now is a huge danger to young men's masculinity. And it's yeah. not, I, you know, like uh, there is most weeks I play a game by myself or with one of my kids. You know, most weeks. Sometimes I'm too busy and I don't. Um, but I'm not against it, but it's a real danger. And so are, is there dangers associated with screens and stuff? Yeah, but it's not going anywhere. It's and, not. What do people think is happening? Do they, think they're, they, do they really think there's going to be an EMP that's going to throw us back into the dark ages? <laughs> Sometimes I think like and, – and then the, the reality – and so we – so we try not to go down the eschat- get too deep on eschatology on it's good to be a man due to the diversity of our audience. But yeah. Don, and, Don and I are of, of the same ilk of you. <laughs> so, right, right. Got it. So, yeah. So when we look at it, we're like, this seems like a net blessing to me. Like more people are hearing the gospel. I can reach. So could you imagine? People. Could you imagine? Uh, and I'm sure those people existed. Where they're like, oh, the printing press. We need to really get rid of that because there's so many books. Well, people porn, right? So much time. Yeah, people. What? More porn, more witchcraft, more evil ideas. The Quran, the That's printing exactly press right. did all that. They did all That's that. That's exactly so- right. But the printing press is still around 500 years later, so it's not going to go anywhere, right? Yep. And so the television isn't going to go anywhere. I, I, I firmly believe that. Christians are going to gain uh, more power and control over it as, as time goes on. 
and like you said, like eschatology, we, we, that we're not, we can stay away from that. But ultimately, I, I, I do believe that there is 100% uh, going to be this period where we see Christianity just becoming the storytellers again. And not just the occasional C.S. Lewis or the occasional Tolkien. Like, really, like, we're running the show. And so so what I'm asking accredited investors, as, as the title is called, <laughs> I'm asking accredited investors to come on and say, uh, run, let's run this show so that when people look back 100 years from now, they can point to one moment and it's like, oh, it's this time when, when the Christian film industry lost all the power because some crazy people thought, well, what if consumers put it in the hands of Christian storytellers? And so, so I believe that's going to win. Look, remember, remember when um, Passion of the Christ came out, right? Mm-hmm. We can get into the theological differences we have with certain aspects of Passion of the Christ. But essentially what you had was a Christian movie. Uh, that went through a Hollywood system that they've built and established. And it brought in $600 million worldwide off a $30 million budget. And that scared, sorry if I said it, but it scared the hell out of people. It is the Hollywood film industry. It scared them to death. <laughs> because, so what they had to do was they had to attack Mel Gibson's character and they say, well, he's a drunk and anti-Semitic or whatever. And some of that might've been true. Uh, but ultimately uh, it wasn't really, they didn't care about Mel Gibson. What they cared about was the fact that, that it was very, very clear that Christian films are incredibly profitable <laughs> and they didn't want to have to make Christian films. <laughs> And so they had stockholders going, wait a minute, why aren't we doing that? I don't understand why we're, why we're not making, they made $600 million on a $30 million budget. Why aren't we doing that? Why are you making, why are you, why are you getting $500 million on a $250 million Marvel budget? I don't understand. I'd much rather have the $30 million budget and the $600 million film. Yeah, it's, it's, it's gross profit margin. It's a pretty simple thing here. Yeah, and they go, well, Mel Gibson is crazy, insane, and 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 then but what they did was they said, if you guys try to do that, we're going to ruin you. So stay out of your lane. That's exactly what they did with the Passion of the Christ. And so ever since then, we haven't really seen anything other than like a joke Noah film uh, that they were like, we'll, we'll show them, we'll give them their occasional big budget Christian film every four or five years <laughs> or whatever, and it's crap. Uh, but uh, but but I think well, I mean, imagine. Christians doing television series that are a million dollars an episode. Like, I mean, I mean, look, here's the thing. Uh, when you watch a story on Netflix and there's a homosexual or a trans character that just enters the scene and you're like, well, this is weird. And I'm not really into the show anymore. Uh, it's not necessarily because you're a Christian. It's more because you're an image bearer. And that's just not, that's those stories just don't align with your nature. Yep. But then when you watch The Mandalorian and you're like, here's a father protecting his adoptive son, you're like, why is this story so great, so incredible? These people are so geniuses. John Favreau is a genius. He's not a genius. It's just a father-son story, and that just doesn't exist in our culture. And we're just like so thirsty for that sort of thing. So this is the thing. This is this is my crazy radical belief, okay? My crazy radical belief 
is that Christian stories are better stories. And because they're better stories, they're more profitable stories. Like, because good things are profitable. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I know that's radical, but, but there's a reason why Coca-Cola is profitable. It's because it's good. Yeah. Right. There's a reason why uh, people can sell a bottle of whiskey for a thousand bucks a bottle. It's because it's good. People Quality. buy good things. And there's no way you can convince me that a genuine Christian story, not a pure flick story, not a, not a Sony Christian firm story, not, not like not, not that, but a genuine Christian story is genuinely profitable. I that's why we can say that the Mandalorian at its core is a Christian story. It's father protecting his son. And that's what I, well, I hope lore becomes um, uh, just good Christian stories and we're going to win. Like that's going to, that'll terrify Hollywood. Um, and there's going to be a lot of fights that come as a result of that, uh, that are going to be pretty fun. Uh, but, but we're ready cause we really don't care. Cause we it sounds great. Fights. Yeah, man. So, uh, where can people, uh, find out more about you, find out more about Lore? Yes. So if you're, if you, uh, in general, you can go to lore.tv, that's L O O R.tv. Um, uh, and then, um, if you're an, an investor, you can subscribe to our investor list and we'll do occasional zoom calls just like this one, essentially. Uh, and then, uh, if you're not, uh, an investor, you're just interested in subscribing, and want to get updates on when the platform will be available, you can uh, join that list too. But just go to loor.tv and you can watch our promo video uh, there, which is essentially our foundation is just Christian movies shouldn't suck. (laughs) (laughs) That's such a radical position, but it's true, man. All right, brother. Thank you so much uh, for being on. Um, Until next time, be on the alert, stand firm in the faith, act like men. Be strong. Let all that you do be done in love.